0: Good morning, I'm Anna Marie, and it's time again for Focus. Today, we got the Garden Master in with us. We've got Dan Harrell, School and Community Garden Coordinator. With UTTSU Ag Extension, right? Yes. Okay, and you say what? You want to explain that a little bit? Well,
1: yes, I want to explain extension. Okay. Both University of Tennessee and Tennessee State University are both land-grant universities. And so we do research. And I tell people we research everything from beef cattle to broccoli. (laughs) And so our information then is extended to the community. So each county, all 95 counties in Tennessee, have at least one Ag Extension agent.
0: So we do this work, and then we get somebody out into the community to share what we've learned.
1: Exactly. So our main job is education. Okay. But all of our information is research-based. And I say that as opposed to, well, great-grandma used to do this. And that may not be a great practice, but our information is research-based. Also, we're not for or against any company. We don't have a dog in that hunt. Whether it be a chemical company or a seed company, that's not our job. We simply take the research from the universities and extend that knowledge to... Farmers, homeowners, gardeners, et cetera.
0: Okay. And so, school and community garden coordinator yes. means let's start with what you do on a, you know, your daily basis, and then we'll extend that to how it fits in everybody's lives. Right. I am a coordinator of gardens in schools. Here's how my job came to be UT
1: Extension looked up and said, We're getting so many calls that people want to have gardens, whether it be community gardens or yep. school gardens, and we need somebody to take over that. And so, they hired me.
0: Because they need somebody to come to when they need help, when they need advice. Right. Exactly when they need right. guidance. Instead of having to reinvent the wheel with every new garden, they needed a person.
1: That's exactly right, Anna Marie. So that's you? That's me. We used to say back in my hometown that an expert is just somebody from out of town. But <laughs> <laughs> So I, I sort of try to steer away from being an expert, but I work in several school gardens. And so let's say a principal said, we'd love to have a school garden. Well, they can come to me and I can take them through each step. What do we need? What is the goal of a school garden versus a community garden? For instance, in schools, we're not trying to, feed or provide for second harvest food bank but we're trying to get kids to see where food comes from and to learn about soils and plant structure and science all around us so my motto is let's start small and have a big success right so i encourage the school to have what i call raised beds we build a raised bed garden by the way there's a wonderful metro department called tools for schools and it's run by a group of retired gentlemen who donate their time they're working right now at a hillsborough high school they got a wood shop and they do all woodwork so their busiest times of summer because they're in schools making cabinets, shelves, even desks. They make garden beds for me. Very well constructed. And all it costs the school is just the lumber. To and do
0: why it. do you recommend raised beds when you're starting out at a great, school?
1: Great question. A couple of reasons. One is our vegetables that we're growing in there most of the time are cool season because right now I'm planting seeds right now that are cool season so they'll get to see something before school gets out. So many people say to me, well, what's the point in having a garden in school when everything comes in when they're out in the summer? But we have a lot of things that are very cold hardy. Right now I'm planting English peas and all leafy greens that you can imagine. Spinach green greens, kale, that sort of thing, carrots, beets, those are all very cold hardy. How late
0: is too late to go ahead and plant things like that?
1: We want to do that now. And again, we've had a mild winter, but I would say that the cool season things need to be planted in March at the latest, because in April we start planting some of the more warm season. But let me get back to your question, because why the raised beds? Mm -hmm. One thing is that very loose soil. Here's my little thing too. I want the kids to be pulling spinach and not weeds. So I make a controlled environment. I come in, and I take just ground that's there designated for the garden. I want to make sure there's plenty of light, sunlight. These plants need at least six hours of sunlight a day. I want to make sure there's a water source, and then I want to make sure that we've got a good location where everybody feels good about it, where it's accessible. Then I come in, I put down cardboard. Cardboard will block the sun And it's a natural Biodegradable source So I put that cardboard down And then I put that box That Tools for Schools Makes for me there And then I put good soil in there My goal this year Is to get good soil So we get good soil Therefore we're not Pulling weeds all the time
0: Now, if I What do to you mean by good
1: soil? Good soil has got to have Good nutrients The three things that plants Need to make their own food By the way A plant is the only Living organism That can make its own food And that's called photosynthesis But to, for that to happen They have to have Nitrogen, phosphorus And potassium right. And in a good soil those are going to be there along with microorganisms which we can talk about too but that good soil that plant has to be able to take in those nutrients right. and good soil will have that and by the way I don't have to worry that I've got some stray weed seed in there right. if I just get it off the farm and somebody said oh I've got this great soil out there well I might be growing ragweed in the spring and the same reason that I do a raised bed is why I don't do conventional garden in a school now in a community gardens, that's a different thing but a conventional garden you'd plow it up but when you plow it up out there there's no telling what's in that soil all the seeds Crabgrass, ragweed, and that sort of thing, Bermuda grass, all that. So it's dormant, but when I till it up, I make it come to life. It germinates. Right. But if I got my own bed there, then I don't have those
0: problems. Now we can't eliminate all weeds, but we can control those things. Right. For the home gardener, if I want to get good soil. Yes you say you're getting it from some source. Do yes. we go? To, uh, yeah, where do we go?
1: Well, you can go to a lot of different places. There's a lot of nurseries. Remember I said UT Extension, we don't try to promote any certain person, but right. I'm going to tell you, out on Dickerson Road, I'm getting all my soil from my school gardens from Southern Nurseries. And okay. they've got a special mix for me out there. And it's not just for me, but it's for when my teachers or my principal call, they say we want this delivered and we want the Holy Cow garden mix. Okay. I worked in the gardens in the prisons at the Sheriff's Office. We didn't have good soil out there. I planted turnip greens the same time that I planted turnip greens in this good soil and it killed him of that freeze got him. Because they had no roots and no nutrients to keep them strong. Oh. See? So I'm t- I am telling you, Anna Marie, any gardener out there, make sure you got good soil. Even if you plough up your back, around, number one, do a soil test. They can get that done through us at UT Extension out there to the Ellington Ag Center. They can go out there. They can call us at our office. We'll send it to them. But it's a little kit that they'll go in and just put a few scoops from their soil out there, send it in, and they'll check they want to grow vegetables, say, or fruit trees, whatever. Right. And then they'll send it back. Most of the time, the soils are good. Most... Plants grow at a pH of about 6, so most of our soil here in Tennessee is naturally good. But to make sure that you don't need something in there, you can get your soil tested.
0: So like if I wanted to grow hydrangeas and blueberries, which I think both need a high
1: high pH. pH
0: yes. well, they call it more acidic soil. The acidic soil. So I could take samples from that area and send yes. it to the UT Ag Extension, and they can tell me, is this a good spot? Yes. And they'll
1: say, if you want to grow blueberries there, you're going to have to raise the pH of your soil. See what I mean? Yeah. For that spot, if, you're, if it's blueberries.
0: Yeah. And can you do that, and will it stay raised, or will I have to keep sure. changing it? You, well, Keep for the most stuff. part,
1: you can do that really easily through using like pine straw needles. Really? Because it's really high in pH. Okay. So if you put it that around that, you can raise your pH that way too.
0: Okay. So you'd get the good soil, whether it's from a nursery, mm-hmm. you'd tell the nursery that you want some good soil for yes. a raised bed, for example, or for garden soil, potting soil that you buy at the store. Is there a difference in that? Yes,
1: one? there is. I would recommend whether you go to the big box store or your local hardware store, never buy topsoil. It's the cheapest but there's no nutrients in there. There's really no topsoil left in our country because we've built about everything up. You know, we've scraped all that really true topsoil off. Yeah. Buy garden soil. Okay. And not potting soil because we're going to be in a raised bed. And I would buy the garden soil because it's got some very good nutrients in it. So, again, it's a little more expensive, yeah. but it's worth it.
0: What if you're going to do container gardening? Do you use potting soil there? You can there use potting soil or there, Or still yes.
1: garden soil? I'd probably mix the two. Before I did the holy cow garden mix, I was putting some peat moss in and some compost. But you see they've got this soil already composted and rich in nutrients for me okay. so if you're not going to do the mix from a nursery or that i'd still buy the garden soil and maybe buy some compost you can buy that in a bag too okay. i like mushroom compost yeah you have to be careful about compost you know a lot of folks and we have chickens now in Davidson county right you're allowed to have five to six no roosters yeah, <laughs> yeah i heard that right? <laughs> you don't want to disturb your neighbors all morning long or all day long so people take the litter from the chicken and use it but it's real high in nitrogen, and you have have to compost that before you put it in your bed or it will literally burn up your plants okay so you take your litter if you're going to do your own manure wherever you get that source put it aside for three months before you place it in your beds
0: oh
1: but see this bag compost has already been that's already been done for it
0: so if it says compost it's done if it says Mm -hmm. manure on the bag no it's it's
1: done too they wouldn't be selling it and yeah you know right out there at Ellington metro police have their horses out there you know the mounted patrol right you can go by there they've composted that manure they clean out their stalls yeah and they set it aside, and then they put it out front, and you're welcome to go by and load your pickup up. Or really? You want to do. Sure.
0: And that's where?
1: It's at Ellington Ag Center off Ellington Parkway. There's a barn out there. Oh, I see. And, and a pasture where they keep their horses. Okay. And so they clean out their stalls. It's going to have some sawdust in there, but it's, it's still clean, and that's a good source for free compost if you'd like it.
0: There you go. You've already learned a bunch of tips. Just, we're getting rolling. And we're talking today with Dan Harrell. He's the School and Community Garden Coordinator at UTTSU, the Ag Extension. We've got, the raised beds going at the schools and maybe we're going to do raised beds at home. How do we know if we need to do raised beds? I have a lot of clay soil at my sure. house, lots of clay. And uh, one guy who sells the mushroom compost mm-hmm. said he mixes it in and puts the clay soil in there because he says it's got good stuff in it for yeah, the plants well. is wonderful.
1: Just in general, Anna Marie, we are blessed to live in Tennessee. Really? <laughs> we sure are. Things grow here. Now, I wouldn't recommend trying to grow bananas year-round here yeah. or citrus fruit, but for the most part, we grow things very well. Our soils are very good right here in Middle Tennessee. There are some times that you've got a little more clay, and clay holds water real well, but sometimes you don't want a spot where you're gardening where water would pond. Right. So clay soil tends to pond. Yes, it does. So mixing something in there with that, maybe even a sand or some kind of a, another loam soil could be helpful there. I recommend raised bed gardens for most anybody who's just wanting to grow enough food for them because then you've got your own soil. You don't have to worry about testing the soil and all that sort of thing. You've got it right there. And it's just a good way to garden. Now, let me contrast that with a community garden and the goals of that, if I could, real quick. Because we've got several community gardens. We've got some gardens that are run by nothing but refugees. Folks who fled here... From war torn countries like in Africa. There's a Paragon Meals Garden, Paragon Urban Farm, which is right on Paragon Meals there in almost the Antioch area. That's wonderful. Yes. The two sisters that started this are both from Rwanda where they escaped. From the civil wars over there. Wow. They have a community garden. So their model is this they'll give you like a four by eight bed and you can buy you can rent more than one. But when I say buy or rent, it's very inexpensive. I yeah. don't know if it's five, ten, fifteen dollars for a whole season. Yeah. But that just goes right back into the community garden. So then they go there and they're growing vegetables for themselves. Now then there are other gardens that are community gardens who are truly trying to provide for second harvest food bank or a local church bank. So the community garden's goal is to produce quantities of food. Right. But in the school garden, garden, we're just trying to learn more not to produce so much right so a community garden does two things number one it brings a community together true and then it provides for the community maybe some locally grown very healthy food sources for certain communities that are what we call food deserts
0: and so they you don't use raised beds usually in community gardens there are exceptions
1: there's a church on old hickory boulevard near uh, nippers corner that you would consider a community garden because they probably got 25 raised beds so they're growing a lot of food. Mm-hmm. They've got a local church food bank there that they provide for.
0: So it just depends on what your preference is. Exactly kind of.
1: right. Some people really, literally just like to till the ground.
0: Oh, that's okay. fine. Yeah, that's
1: great. But you got to use some other practices in those things. For instance, if you're going to till, you're going to have to control your weeds. OK, more your weeds. So you're going to have to till more often. In other words, you till it first. And then you kill some things, let the sun kind of kill something. Then you till it again before you plant. And then even through the season, you're tilling between the rows. Or you're going to have to put down something to cover it, like straw, in between the rows, that sort of thing. So I'm just saying it's a little more work intensive. And in my schools, I'm trying to avoid more of that. And just when the kids come out, they get to plant, they get to pick, they get to do things like that. I'm
0: a lazy gardener. I put a big raised bed in the back, and I put a a couple of little cherry tomato plants, and they went crazy. (laughs) They were fantastic fantastic and i want to use the raised beds again but somebody said you have to rotate crops when you do raised beds it's what does good, that mean it's a good
1: practice especially with tomato plants what does that mean That just means don't plant tomatoes this year where you put them there last year or if you've got a bed you had them on one end right go to the other end and put them there i do that a lot with the cheatham places on rosa parks boulevard and that's a housing community that i work with there and every one of them have if they want it have a little raised bed right outside their doorstep in that housing project and so they don't have a lot of space so i tell them last year you put them on this end, go to the other end and put your tomato plants in. Tomatoes, they can have a disease that stays in the soil. Oh. and that, It's not to say it's always there, but they can be susceptible to that. That's why we want to rotate those. If you've had tomatoes last year in your raised bed, if you look out and say, you know what, those things are still out there. They're just dead. Get them out of there. When the season's over, always pull your dead plants out. That way you can prevent some of these diseases that might be in the soil.
0: Oh, okay. And we
1: can't prevent them all, but we're trying to do best practices. Right. So pull those dead tomato plants and everything that's dead, get it out of there, let it lie fallow over the winter time, and then you start back in.
0: Okay, that's good to know. Mm-hmm. When we're talking about somebody maybe trying to grow enough food for their family yes, or just supplement their family because they like to grow things, are there some things that really do well that might be good for somebody who's kind of a beginner? Sure. A home gardener who's a beginner. And let's
1: talk to this point, too, because I think you've probably heard we have 80 to 90 people moving into Nashville every day, and we're building everywhere to house these people. Mm -hmm. And some of these people, maybe they're younger, maybe they're in their 20s, 30s, whatever, and they've never grown anything. They can grow some plants right there on their little patio that can provide for them for instance we have breeds of tomato plants that are called patio tomato right that means it only grows three feet tall but it produces lots of fruit Right. And it's not necessarily a cherry tomato. It could be a normal-sized tomato. Now, if you look on your tag on that tomato, it'll give you one or two things. It'll say determinate or indeterminate. That's important. An indeterminate tomato plant is one that's just going to grow like most tomato plants do, which will grow eight feet tall, sometimes ten. That's why we have to stake them or put them in a cage. Oh!
0: But a patio
1: tomato, you look on there, it will say determinate. It's been bred to only grow so high.
0: The height has been determined, Yes, through, through breeding, hybrid yeah.
1: breeding. Okay. That's another thing you'll see on a tomato plant, or usually any plant. a garden vegetable plant, it will either say hybrid or heirloom. Well, if you think about how we breed certain animals for certain traits. Columbia, Tennessee, they're known, known as Mule Town because they're famous for their big mule day and the fact that they had big mules. And back in the day, we had to have these big mules. So how do you get a mule? You cross a horse with a donkey. Well, we were crossing these big draft horses with donkeys, and we got big, huge donkeys that oh. were great. Now, where I'm from in Texas, our mules are small because we bred them from, like, quarter horses and some of those ponies out there, you know what I mean? Right. Yeah, but when you get a mule, one of the traits we were after is... They're sure-footed. Where I'm from, we like to ride them on those hills because they're very sure-footed. Plowing these fields, they needed to be very sure-footed, too. So they crossed that, and they got something of a trait that they wanted. Right. Now, that's what we do with hybrids. We can breed these tomato plants. Some of them can grow from their patio and won't have to tie up. And it's going everywhere. Right. right, right. Same thing here with the hybrids. We're doing that. Now, here's the same thing. When you cross a horse and a donkey, you're going to get a meal. Now, if it's male, we call it a jack. If it's a female, we call it a jenny. But one characteristic they don't have, they cannot reproduce. Same thing with our hybrid plants. We wouldn't save the seed because they're not going to germinate. Now, let's go out to Hermitage, Andrew Jackson's home. Their garden is known because it's totally an heirloom garden. That means Andrew Jackson started that garden, and they've saved seeds for over 200 years.
0: Oh. See, so year
1: after year, the tomatoes that were grown were from the same family where Andrew Jackson started. So right. there's your heirloom, pure, pure bread. We also cross plants to get a certain trait like this. We have some funguses and diseases here in Middle Tennessee that are real deadly to some of our tomato plants. For instance, one of our main ones is called early blight. What happens is rain falls on the soil, and it pops up on the lower leaves, and there's a natural fungus in that soil, but it gets on those lower leaves, and it kills the tomato plant, and it's quick. We have bred tomato plants now called hybrids that are not susceptible to that disease. Wow. So now we spray less fungicide. Yeah. So that's a wonderful thing. We've got a good trait. But some people still say, well, there's nothing like the taste. Of an heirloom tomato. And I say, you may be right, but I like the taste of a living tomato plant. <laughs>
0: true, true. So if I, I, I can't keep it alive, I, I can't eat them that, tomatoes. Exactly right.
1: What I'm saying is, I'm answering your question, that you look for certain plants that have a certain trait. You see what I mean? That you need that in you your need. life. Right. The thing of it is, if you're a beginning gardener, you've got a raised bed out in your backyard, anything, just try to use good practices. For instance, I wouldn't put something like a lettuce in the middle of my bed and then put squash or corn on the outside because oh. the squash grows big leaves. And the corn grows tall, and it's going to shade out the yeah. smaller things. Yeah. So you would put your smaller growing things on the outside. Yeah. And your taller growing things in the middle, so it would get shaded. Also, if you have this choice, run your bed north to south. Yes, because if you think about the sunlight from the east, it's going to get the same amount. Every plant is going to get the same amount of sunlight with a pattern of the sun growing from east to west. Right. So run it north and south, and you're going to get
0: better sunlight. Oh, that's a good tip. And what about pesticides? You mentioned fungicides. And what about pesticides and things like that? Are there some that are better practices to use? yes.
1: There are. We try to do our best to discourage the use of too much of anything. Yeah. Too much herbicide, too much pesticide. Now, the thing about an herbicide, if you have a hybrid plant, and there are some organic fungicides that are useful, they're not quite as useful, quite as effective as as some of our non-organic fungicides. But the thing about a fungicide is, if you get a fungus in your plant, we can't do anything about it. In other words, all we can do is prevent it. Once it's there, we can't cure it.
0: You can't, like, cut it out? Well, or... You can
1: cut it out, but I'm saying there's nothing that we have as far as a spray or a fungicide that'll make it it'll, go away. Make it go away. Oh. For instance, if we have bugs, we can kill them, right? right? But we can't kill that fungus. Okay. We can only prevent it. That's one thing. Is If you want to be organic, then look for some of the organic fungicides. And you can go to any store that sells these things, and it'll tell you what it is. Just get a what you would call a fruit and vegetable spray fungicide. We're not opposed to people using non-organic, but try to do that preventively. For instance, on fruit trees, if someone's growing fruit trees out there, call our office. We can give you a schedule for spraying that oh. will not hurt the pollinators and will not hurt your buds. It's called spraying at the right time.
0: And you said not hurt the pollinators right. because that is important to take note of what insects are going to be on those huge, plants.
1: Huge, huge, Most people are only aware of honeybees f- as far as pollinators go. But we have, I think, five native wasps here in Middle Tennessee, by the way, that don't even sting, that are just huge pollinators. Even the government's been very active to try to protect our pollinators. Our farmers need them for soybeans and wheat and corn. It's got to be pollinated, that sort of thing. So these pollinators are huge. So be careful where you spray in there, you see what I mean? Because you might also kill some of these pollinators that we really, really need. So if you choose to be... Organic or non-organic, it's about proper time to use those pesticides. Where can we
0: find out more information about proper time to use pesticides? Well, you can
1: go to our website, which is UT Extension, and look under Publications. And then you can search Pesticides, Vegetable Garden, Pesticides, or PESTS. That sort of thing. You'll find publications that are free and online about how to spray and when to spray. And what to spray.
0: I don't think people had any idea. I know I didn't anyway, about wasps being pollinators.
1: Yes. We don't even notice some of these insects. Because sometimes they work at night. And here's another thing. I'm always so quick to want to kill a yellow jacket because that sting hurts. Yeah. Oh. But you know those yellow jackets, as long as they're not feeling threatened... Their nest, truly they're called paper wasps. Right. Because if they're flying around your raised bed garden, they're doing one or two things. Watch them. They'll get on your wood. Their mouth parts are actually picking that wood off. They combine that with their saliva, and that's how they make their nest. Right. That nest in that corner is made out of paper. Right. And then here's what they do. They're also flying around there looking for caterpillars or worms that we don't want. And they take those little worms, and they paralyze them. But if they're sting they paralyze them. They don't kill them. And then you see the wasp; and they got cells. Yeah. They're, putting, they're laying an egg in there. And then they're putting that, could be a spider or it could be a worm of some kind or a caterpillar. It's been stunned. It's still alive. And then they close up the cell. So when the baby wakes up, breakfast is served.
0: Wow. (laughs) So you
1: can see, this is what I tell my kids when we go out too. Sometimes I prep them. We're going outside to nature and you're going to see some things out there. You're going to scream at maybe. Yeah. But don't do that. For instance, that wasp, she doesn't even know you're there. She's just flying around. So don't swat at her. Just try to avoid her. But she's not there to sting you. Yeah. So it's an important thing about nature. The things that we need that are very helpful. Ladybugs, lady beetles is actually the thing. If you see lady beetles in your garden, boy, just thank the Lord and say, I'm glad you're here. What can I do? Because she's there. She might have been attracted to some of the flowers that you have in your garden. We can also talk about that. But while she's there, she's eating aphids, too. So, oh. see, she's, she's, she's feeding off those things we don't want, the pests. So there's some natural ways. We talked about spraying some things. We're not against spraying or using some of the other non-organic things. We want you to do that with proper practices. Also, you can use certain plants that certain insects avoid. For instance, here's a tip. You're going to grow tomatoes? Put basil in there with it. Two reasons. Well, the basil has a very pungent smell. Right. I love the smell. Yeah. But it also tastes good in tomato sauces that yeah. we use in pasta. But there's something about that smell that keeps this, what we call this old moth that lays the cornworm or the tomato worm. Yeah. She doesn't like that smell. So she won't come in there and lay her egg there. So the basil can keep her away. Yeah. Same thing with marigolds, that sort of thing. I've that, heard of,
0: of marigolds. Marigolds
1: have form. a real strong smell, too. The flower does. Yeah.
0: And, and I didn't want to waste the space with marigolds, but I like the basil because I could just eat that like...
1: And by the way, this may not be research-based, but it's true that your tomatoes are going to taste a little better when you put basil in there with them.
0: Really? And we don't know exactly why. <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> but
1: they're complementary plants. Yeah. And so they also do well together growing, and they taste good together when they're cooked.
0: Other plants that are complementary to each other?
1: It could be anything in vegetable gardens. Things like buckwheat. Some of our natives, like a button bush, some of those are Tennessee natives, and they're good pollinators. Therefore, they're complementary. Oh. They're complementary because they draw in the pollinators that we want.
0: For most of us, we need the insects. Exactly
1: right. We need it. to do that because we need those insects. Even bumblebees, yeah. any kind of wasp, they're getting inside that flower, those pollinators, and they get it on their hairy little legs like the honeybee. Mm-hmm. And when they go to the next plant, it comes off and there's, there's pollination. Corn has to be wind pollinated. So if somebody says, I'm going to grow corn this year, don't plant just one row. You won't get good pollination. And I tell you how you've seen corn that's not been pollinated because you break off the ear and at the top there's no corn. Right. right. That's not been pollinated well. Corn's got to be planted in rows, at least two rows, so they can cross in the wind oh. and pollinate each other. I recommend if you're going to do corn, do two or three or four rows of corn. What about blueberries? Well, blueberries, the same thing as any kind of the berries, raspberries, blackberries. They have to be in that certain kind of soil to be able to grow well. So I wouldn't put those in with my vegetable garden. You know, Well, I mean, house. do they
0: have to be pollinated because... I had like one blueberry plant in a pot, and somebody said, no, I think you have to have two or three of them.
1: Well, there's certain varieties. There's certain fruit trees that have to have pollination as well. You just have to figure out what you've got there because certain varieties of blueberries, that are male and female. Same thing with trees. Certain varieties of apples are male and female.
0: Oh. So if we're really not quite sure what we want to plant at our house as far as trees or fruits or vegetables or kind of where to start but we want to put together our plan we can go to the website yes and what
1: you want to do is you want to look number one for the proper plant in the proper season so you need to understand if you're going to start your garden right now we need to put in some cool season things and if you're planting from seed look at the seed packet it'll tell you what it is it'll say cool season or it'll say warm season it'll tell you when to plant what zone are we we're in a very transitional temperate zone. that's what i thought yes that's why... Some places
0: it says one thing and another publication it'll say it a different zone. That's why
1: Kentucky can grow things that we just really don't do well with. Thank you! I thought it was just me. No. It's because of the temperature zone we live in. Think about this. What have we done this winter? I mean it's been just unseasonably warm. All winter. One or two days. Maybe three days of winter weather. And I went out to prune some trees for Hands-On Nashville, their, their little farm. and He said, let's schedule this in April. I said, let's schedule this in February when the fruit trees are dormant. We want to prune Any kind of fruit tree, any kind of tree that you're pruning, we want to do it when it's dormant. You want to plant that tree when it's dormant too.
0: So, if we haven't pruned our trees yet, is it too late to do it? No, it's not. Give them more risk of disease or make it harder for them to recover.
1: Let me tell you something. This is a basic that everybody needs to know if you're growing fruit trees. The worst thing you can do to a fruit tree is not prune it, because a fruit tree wants to become a shade tree. Therefore, if you want fruit, you've got to have two things to have healthy fruit. You've got to have plenty of sunlight. You need to have air. That fruit tree, unpruned, prevents both of those things. Right. So we want to prune that tree so it makes it healthier.
0: So it has space all it in between space. those branches. And
1: a peach tree needs to be pruned differently from an apple or a pear tree. They can find that on the website, too. Just go to UT Extension Publications, punch in fruit trees. It will give you examples and pictures of how to prune a fruit tree, like what we call a stone fruit versus maybe an apple A stone fruit's going to be your peaches. Peaches, things with the pits in them. With the pit in them, right.
0: What about other trees? I can find how to prune other trees on there as well? Yes, you sure can. I almost got in a feud with a neighbor. because he had rented one of those little mini cherry picker. yeah, Yes, a little mini cherry picker and he was pruning his trees or Mm -hmm. topping his trees. yes. And then he said, you need something done. I said, well, this limb needs to go right here and this limb over here. And I'm talking about pruning it. Mm -hmm. And he said, well, okay. He said, I'll do that. And then he did and I was like, thank you. And then the next day I come home from work and he is topping the tree. I nearly had a heart attack. He said, I just thought I would shape it up a little. Mm. And it's just a practice that we've seen for so long here in Tennessee.
1: That unfortunately, because of the power lines, yeah. they come in and they just literally kill most of these trees. They'll top off some of these Bradford Pears. You've seen that yes. happen. And they'll never grow back. Yeah. I'm not going to get on our utility companies. That's a separate deal. But if you're a homeowner, do not prune your tree without consulting someone. I'm not saying hire somebody, but go to our publications yeah. and get educated about it. will show you how important some of these limbs are and they don't need to be topped. And by the way, one of the worst things is what we call crepe murder, where people are yes. cutting back these crepe murder so much they cut them back
0: to that original right
1: right some of them do yeah you know a crepe myrtle is not a true tree it's a bush that grows tree-like so they do come back but the healthier thing to do is not to cut them back so much what are you supposed to do again go to the publications it's hard for me to explain on radio exactly what you should do but most of the time here's what i do when i prune any tree this goes for a grapevine too if anything's dead cut that out for a crepe myrtle, you got different things. For a grapevine, you want really two main canes. So I just have to kind of decide that. And again, a fruit tree is different. But the first thing you do, look for dead, look for injured, and then you're looking, how do I get more light and more air into my plant? There's a basic explanation of a pruning. But most of the time, when you're talking about your trees that are growing in your yard, most of the time, they do not need pruning. They don't They do not. Unless it's a young tree, Mm -hmm. and you're trying to train it to grow taller. I'm talking about two or three years old. You might want to prune some of those lower branches so it's going to keep growing taller. You want your branches to be up and healthy, reaching
0: toward the sun instead of down here. Hanging down. Hanging down. Going down. One of the trees that I was trying to prune somewhat had grown into another, the neighbor's tree. I see. And so that's what I was doing, exactly. taking off this limb because it's going off into the neighbor's tree yeah. here, but the rest were fine. For
1: their health, they don't need to be trimmed. But if you've got a problem like that, when you do that, I want to ask the homeowners to make sure if you hire somebody to do it, make sure they cut that limb all the way back to the trunk for the health of that tree, Don't which just is a plant. lop it off somewhere. Don't lop it off somewhere in the middle. Take it all the way back for the health of that plant. Yeah. Any final thoughts? The final thought would just be, I want to encourage everybody to get out there and grow things for yourself. This is good for our environment. It's good for our health. We're promoting locally grown fruit and vegetables. And if you're not going to grow yourself, go to the farmer's markets. we got several around town. You can find freshly grown fruits and vegetables that will be better for you and your family.
0: Dan Harrell, the school and community garden coordinator with UTTSU Ag Extension. Thank you again. Thank you for having me, Make sure you go to our Focus page on Facebook where you can hear podcasts of the programs that we air on Sunday mornings. You can get some links for more information about the things that you've heard about. And you can, of course, submit ideas for future programs. Our Focus producer is Andrew Faust. Thank you so much for joining us. And make sure you join us again next week for Focus.